You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Here's a story out of the United Kingdom that will come as a shock to no one who has gone into a casual encounters or intimate encounters or rando hookups section of any personal's dating website. There's a dating website uh, in the United Kingdom called Plenty of Fish, as in Plenty of Fish in the Sea, and they've just shut down their intimate encounters site after the CEO discovered that – and I'm quoting here from The Independent uh, in the UK. It's a terrific paper, but I got here via Jezebel. So thank you, Jezebel, for drawing my attention to this. He says that only 6,000 of the 3.3 million people who use the site every day are in fact women looking for no-strings-attached trysts, which means most of the intimate encounter asks are dudes pretending to be women. Back to Mr. Friend, the founder of Plenty of Fish. He says, intimate encounters on Plenty of Fish can be summed up as a bunch of horny men talking to a bunch of horny men pretending to be women. Now, some people think a lot of those horny guys pretending to be women are gay and some of them are. I've certainly heard from and talked to and gotten letters from guys, gay guys who went on to casual encounters on Craigslist and other websites and pretended to be women uh, so that they could you know, draw out, spin out these fantasies and listen to straight guys and get pictures from straight guys who wanted to F them in the vaginas that they did not have. So that definitely happens. But there are also uh, – and there are – terms for this and we've talked about it in Savage Love. There are a lot of straight guys out there who have fantasies about being women and uh, you know, be, not just taking on the female role, not just being pegged, but actually being women. But they're not trans. It's just this you know, want to take a walk on the vagina side fantasy that a lot of straight men have. And because of the internet, as that famous New Yorker cartoon said, because on the internet no one knows you're a dog – says the dog who's online in the New Yorker cartoon. These guys can go online, pretend to be women, create these female personas and live out these fantasies in cyber time. Unfortunately, they're misleading people. They're leading people on, which is why Plenty of Fish shut down intimate encounters on their site because they don't want to be in the business of getting guys' hopes up only to have them crushed when they find out that the person they're talking to has an Audi, not an innie, right? Because that's so sad. And it is kind of sad and uh, I get letters all the time from straight guys and calls from straight guys who want to know why it's so hard to get women to just agree to this shit. You know, gay dudes, they see us jumping into bed and hooking up and having casual encounters all the time, a lot more easily than straight people do. And some straight people do manage to do that and there's a lot of gay people out there who don't do that at all. Uh, but it's generally true that if you're a dude and you're attracted to dudes, it's easier to get dick. Then if you're a straight guy who's attracted to women, then it's easier to get pussy. It's not as easy to get pussy as it is to get dick. And that's just true. There's a glut of it and guys are just giving it away. And women are shyer about giving it away. And I get letters from straight guys who are wondering why that is. How come women aren't as quick to jump into bed? And I always tell them it's because of rape. It's because of intimate partner violence. It's because of all the risks inherent in any sexual encounter fall disproportionately onto the shoulders of the female in an opposite sex sexual encounter. Simple things, simple, ugly, complicated things like sexually transmitted infections. The risk is greater passing from male to female than female to male. Not that there's no risk from female to male. There certainly is. But the risk is greater going male to female than female to male with most sexually transmitted infections. Pregnancy. She's at risk. Guys, you are not, right? Violence. 
Louis C.K. does this great bit about he wonders why women even talk to men or look at men or have anything to do with men. Women are likelier to be murdered not by strangers in an alley somewhere, not by terrorists, not by drones, but by their boyfriends and husbands. Boyfriends and husbands are a tremendous risk to the health and safety and lives of women everywhere. And so you wonder, straight guys, why women just don't leap into bed with rando guys, straight guys that they do not know through intimate encounters, sections of websites or casual encounters on Craigslist. This is why. Because you fuckers are scary. Because men – and I say this as a man. I'm not pointing a finger at straight guys. Gay guys are like this too. Men are scary. Men are dangerous. And we live in a sexist, misogynistic, violent culture where women are abused with impunity. And that is why most of the people you will find in a casual encounter site or an intimate encounter site section of a website are men pretending to be women and not actual women because most women are too smart to take those kinds of risks. Not that some don't want to. Not that there aren't some women in there. There are. You're just going to have to dig through a lot of pretend women to find that actual one. And guys, if you want there to be more women out there in the world who are up for a casual hookup or a one-night stand or a rando encounter or a fantasy fulfillment session, you should work to combat rape culture. You should work to combat violence that targets women. You should work against the prevailing attitudes of so many other straight guys in your orbit who say sexist, shitty, rapey things about women. Every time they do that, it really negatively impacts your ability to get laid. It really does if what you want is a rando, impulsive – YOLO encounter, rape culture, rapey attitudes, shitty things men do and say about women when women aren't around, that blocks you. That cock blocks you if what you want is straight women to be a little bit freer, a little bit more like gay men. You should combat rape culture. Of course you should care about this shit whether or not your dick gets wet. I care about this shit and I'm not trying to get my dick into any ladies at all, right? I care about there being less violence, less sexual violence. Less rape, less unplanned pregnancies, less poor women denied access to abortion when they need abortions because I care about women even though I don't want to get my dick wet in a woman. If you love women, if you're attracted to women, you should really care about this shit regardless of whether it gets your dick wet in the end. But guys, push back hard against rape culture. Make the world safer for women. A world where women aren't raped, aren't targeted for sexual violence, aren't abused by their partners, aren't slut-shamed when they do choose to be sexually active, you are likelier to get laid in that world. And your female friends, relatives, daughters, sisters, wives, less likely to be raped. There's a lot in it for you pushing back against this shit. And when I say you should combat rape culture, I don't mean you just stand there going, oh, yeah, rape is bad. Whenever there's a woman around or a woman in the room. Or women are talking about rape is bad. Yep, yeah, mm, rape is bad. You should be rape is bad mm, to your male friends. Because again, when straight guys encourage this culture of regarding women as only objects, I'm pro people are objects at times. I'm pro objectification. We all want to be objects now and then, but we are not all only objects. None of us is only an object. Even the people we objectify shouldn't always only be objects to us. But if you don't speak up when women are objectified in violent and nasty and degrading and demeaning ways, that's going to interfere with your ability to get your dick wet. Want to get your dick wet more often? Speak up for and defend women. And not just your sisters, wives, girlfriends, moms, sex workers, lesbians, dykes, strangers, women on the street, 
drunks, anybody. You should speak up for all women if you want to get your dick wet. There's something in it for you, straight guys. And speaking of rape culture and the ugliness that's out there, there was an open letter published on Huffington Post about a week and a half ago written by a group of women, Soraya Kamali, apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name, Jacqueline Friedman and Laura Bates writing on Huffington Post, an open letter to Facebook challenging Facebook to pull down sites that trivialize rape. Facebook has policies that condemn and disallow abusive and sexually explicit and violent content. And they frequently pull down pages with innocent and harmless pictures of women breastfeeding. Facebook will pull those down. Here's some titles of Facebook pages that have not been pulled down. Fly kicking sluts in the uterus, kicking your girlfriend in the fanny because she won't make you a sandwich, violently raping your friend just for laughs. These are all Facebook pages. Raping your girlfriend and many, many more. Quoting from the open letter, there are images appearing on Facebook that include photographs of women beaten, bruised, tied up, drugged, and bleeding with captions such as, this bitch didn't know when to shut up, and next time don't get pregnant. Facebook hasn't been too terribly responsive to pushback from feminist activists about this shit. And so they are asking Facebook users to contact advertisers whose ads appear alongside this content on Facebook. And they are getting – they are achieving some success. Advertisers are pushing back. That is the only thing enormous corporations like Facebook understand is when advertisers push back. And we have to push back against this. There are young people on Facebook, fewer and fewer – by the way, news stories show fewer and fewer young people on Facebook. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's good. They're all getting on Twitter and Instagram instead. But there are young people on Facebook who are having their worldviews shaped by – you call them social norms, by these norms. If it is OK to promulgate these images, if this is funny on Facebook, then maybe it's funny and permissible in real life. And the problem is in real life, there are a lot of abused, raped, battered, abused women out there. And Facebook is helping to create more violence directed at women in a culture that is choking on it. Facebook, you gotta pay attention. You gotta write this ship, motherfuckers. I encourage everybody to go to Huffington Post and read an open letter to Facebook by Shamali Friedman and Bates. It's important shit. And speaking of Jezebel, once again, Jezebel, thank you for the link to the independent story about plenty of fish. Joining us later in the program, Lindy West from Jezebel talking about the world's worst advice columnist, which isn't me, believe it or not. Coming up. Hi, I am a 28-year-old female, and I've been dating my boyfriend for about five months, and everything's going very well. We're feeling like we're on a path to marriage. We have a wonderful connection. And I recently started communicating with a guy I dated before I met my boyfriend, who I really liked, we got along well, but just realized we weren't going to work as a couple. But we still want to be friends, so we recently went out and got a drink, and we've been emailing, and this makes my boyfriend really uncomfortable. He says that he trusts me, but he does not trust this guy and doesn't know why I trust this guy. I really want to be friends with him, and... We're having a hard time having a healthy conversation about this, and I'm hoping that you can help me figure out how we can talk about it and if this is something that is okay for me to do and how to work with my boyfriend so he can figure out that it's okay and that he can trust me and he can trust this guy to not 
get into another relationship. Here's how you can show your boyfriend of five short months. You say path to marriage in five short months in the same sentence and my head explodes just for the record. Here's how you can show your boyfriend of five short months that he can trust you. You can prioritize him for now. You can prioritize his feelings. You can defer to his insecurities about this other guy without caving. What you say to him is, oh, yeah, I understand. We've only been dating for five months, which is why we're not talking about marriage right now because it's only been five months, right? So we haven't – you know, we're still in that getting to know you stage. We're still sussing each other out and – I can see why – and you should say this and you should feel this. You should know this. I'm telling you this. I can see why, honey, the reemergence of this previous romantic partner at this stage of our relationship, so early in our relationship, threatens you and, and seems gooby and weird. So I'm going to kick that can down the road. I'm going to tell my ex that, yeah, maybe we can be friends in another year or so because hopefully, sweetheart, when – you know, it's been not just five short, too soon to be talking about marriage months, but maybe a year and a half. And it's really clear that we're suited for each other. We've been farting in front of each other for at least six months. Maybe then you won't regard, you know, exes of mine as kind of an existential threat because our commitment will be much more solid and our trust will have grown to the point where you know that I'm not leaving you for anyone else. And you know when I tell you something that it's the truth. You know somebody for five months and they tell you something? You don't know that's the truth. You don't know them well enough to know that's the truth. You really don't. You're still in the audition stage. You're still in the probationary stage of a relationship at five months. Hell fucking low. So yeah, maybe you are telling the truth but maybe you're not and he has no way of knowing at this stage. So early five short fucking months into a relationship that you're telling the truth. When you say this, you have no interest in this guy and this is just friendly so demonstrate to him that he's your priority for now. You haven't seen this guy for a while after the breakup. He can wait. You can move that friendship to the back fucking burner. Not because you have to but because you're choosing to. It's a way of demonstrating. It's an action you can take that demonstrates to your boyfriend of five months that you believe he may be it. He may be the one. And that kind of giving a little, that kind of consideration – it's not self-negating. You're not saying I can never be friends with my exes. You're not allowing him to control you because what's explicit in this deal is that one day this guy is probably going to be at least peripherally a part of your life because you like him and there was something there that you'd like to salvage as a friendship but in no way as a relationship. But for now, out of consideration of his feelings, you're going to kick that can down the road and hopefully when you guys are tighter and more solid and there's more trust – more time, he'll find him less threatening. And at that point, you're going to call in that shit and say, remember, out of consideration for your feelings, I put this off, put this relationship on the back burner, didn't see or talk to this guy for a while. Well, now out of consideration for mine, you're not going to be a controlling, psycho, jealous boyfriend. You know me well enough to trust me when I tell you, to believe me when I tell you, to know it's the truth when I tell you that I have no romantic interest in this guy, but I'd like to have a friendship and you should come along and you should meet him. And we should all be friends. And then everybody wins. And then at a year and a half, maybe then you can start talking about path to marriage. But not now. Not now. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 28-year-old female, um, recently identified as asexual. And I say recently because until several months ago, I thought I was just fucked up. 
I'm not sexually attracted to men or women, and I'm okay with that. My problem is I'm okay with it, but I don't know how my friends or family might react. I feel like if I were to tell them it's it's like coming out, um, and I don't know how they would react. You know, society says you should be attracted to someone or something, and I'm just not. But like I said, until recently, I just thought I was fucked up. And when I realized that, you know, there is another sexuality, sexual orientation as an asexual, I really was relieved there are people like me and I'm not alone. And there are other men and women that feel the same way. And I really just, it, <laughs> I really was happy with it and, you know, can have a joy about me and a confidence now that I'm not just, you know, some freak show. My question is, how can I explain that to my friends and family without them taking away the peace that I have found with it? And do I even have to? Really, it's none of their business. But recently, you know, a lot of my family members have been questioning my sexuality, saying that I'm a lesbian and things like that. And it doesn't bother me, but I know that it some point it will and I'll just get pissed off and snap so any information that you can give me any helpful tips maybe or any information about the asexual community because I've looked and I haven't really been able to find a whole lot about it um any information you can provide to the situation would be most helpful thank you so much Joining us by phone is David J. David founded asexuality.org in 2002, which Salon has called the online home of the asexual community. Hey, David, thanks for jumping on the phone with us. Thanks so much for having me on again. Uh, it's my pleasure. So uh, this woman has just discovered that she is asexual. Just put those pieces together. Uh, what are your tips for her about coming out to family and friends as asexual? How do you roll that out? So I listened to a call, and I think that the – in my experience, come out as asexual. I um, told my family, I told my friends, a lot of them were very supportive, and their biggest concern for me was that I wouldn't be able to be happy. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of messages out there in society telling people that you need sex to really be happy. You need sex to really connect with people in the way that you want to connect with people to be happy. And so I found that the most important thing for me when coming out was to be able to tell people a story about how I was still going to be able to connect with people in the ways that I wanted to in my life and how I would still be able to be happy in the ways I wanted to in my life. Um, and that's challenging, right? Because that's something everyone's still figuring out. No one has the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. But if that's something that you're thinking about for yourself as an asexual person, um, and, I, and I recommend you do, right? Like as asexual people, it's our job to really dive into what kind of connection do we want? How do we want to be happy? And being able to express that when you come out is really helpful. So what's the, what's the most typical reaction when someone who's asexual comes out to parents or friends about it? What's the, you know, what I got when I came out as gay to my brother and then my mother was, are you sure? What is the, yeah. and that seems to be a cliche. So many gay people are asked that. No, I'm, you know, I'm not sure that I want to suck dick. I'm just guessing. What's the most common reaction that asexuals got? I, you know, I think it's pretty common. There's a lot of people saying, are you sure? How do you know? Are you sure you're not limiting yourself? And I think that uh, what's, what's been important for me is to express how embracing this identity and exploring myself as asexual is a lot more liberating than it is limiting. It's mm -hmm. not that I'm, it's not that I'm uh, 
I'm stopping myself from doing something that I intrinsically want to do. I'm allowing myself to explore kind of relation, kind of relationships in a way of connecting with people that um, otherwise would be difficult to explore. And so how does she find her way into the asexual community? It sounds, listening to her call, it sounds like she has not yet, it sounds like she has not yet found her way to asexuality.org. Yeah. So um, if you go to asexuality.org, um, there's a great community of people there who offer support. I recommend that you go and there's a place called the Welcome Area where you can kind of tell your story and a lot of other people will probably have similar stories and it's really powerful to just sort of see that there's a lot of other people out there like you. Um, in addition to Avon, there are really active asexual communities kind of all over the place on Tumblr. There's a number of different blogs. Um, there's a number of local meetup groups. If you go to the meetup section of Avon um, to try to find people in your own area. So what are for, – for listeners who may be new, who didn't hear you the last time you were on the show or when we first started talking about asexuality, what are the, the two, three takeaways? What are the three things that the sexuals need to know and understand about asexuals? So the first thing is that an asexual person is someone who doesn't experience sexual attraction, meaning that we just don't have an intrinsic desire to be – to make sexuality a part of our relationships with other people. Otherwise, we're the – same as everyone else, um, or, you know, the same broad diversity of human experience as everyone else. Um, and that gets to the second thing, which is that asexual people still have a desire for intimacy and for connection. And non-sexual connection and intimacy is something that our community is really uh, aggressively exploring and having a lot of fun exploring. Mm-hmm. Um, and something you talk about a lot. And I would say the, uh, the, Third thing related to that is that asexual people still experience romantic attraction, many of us. So you can be asexual, but you can be asexual and homoromantic or heteroromantic or biromantic. Which brings me to something I wanted to ask you about. One of the things this caller has said that has been a problem with her, that finding the asexual sort of identity and label has really helped her, is this pressure. You know, she said society says you should be attracted to someone or something that you should be with someone. And it seems like she, at least at this point in her self-conception uh, as asexual, b- understands it as a desire not to be with anyone or be sexual. And you are in a romantic relationship, it says here on your Ricky page, since November of 2012, in a romantic relationship with an asexual girlfriend, and you guys are thinking about adopting and starting a family. Does mm-hmm. that, the fact that there are you know, asexuals out there who have romantic attachments, does that, is that going to fuel the fire that, that, that she's hoping that the asexual sort of identity and label will help put out this pressure that she gets from family and friends to be with someone? Does that complicate that? Well, within the asexual community, that notion of being with someone is really, really broad. So the question isn't, you know, do you have a romantic partner? Do you have a boyfriend or girlfriend? The question is, do you have intimacy in your life? That intimacy could look like a series of best friendships that are extremely close. This is how I did intimacy for a long time. I was very, very happy, you know, having friends that made deep commitments to one another, said that we loved one another, but weren't romantically attached. It could look like a romantic relationship. It could look like being really close to a community. Um, There are people in the asexual community who um, have a lot of close friendships, but they really focus on the relationships for themselves, kind of on meditating, on spending time in the woods, on spending time doing creative stuff as the primary source of intimacy. All of those things are equally valid. Um, so like in the asexual community, we don't, we very rarely call anyone single because there's the sense that everyone has some kind of intimacy in their, li- in their life. And the question is, what kind of intimacy do you have right now? And what do you want to build on? But what if and this I girl, that, 
if this girl comes out to her parents as asexual and she goes to asexuality.org and she sends them there and say they stumble over this fact that you have a girlfriend. Are, is that, what is, what's her response to her family when they turn around and say, well, David, Jay has a girlfriend. Why don't you have a boyfriend? I think that it's up to her to, first of all, ask, is that the kind of intimacy she wants? Um, and if it is, then great. She can go and look for that. If it's not, then, uh, then I think that she needs to be able to tell a story about how she needs to be able to say, look, um, romantic relationships aren't really what's exciting for me right now, mm-hmm. but I've got a couple of really, really good friendships that I'm building, I'm investing in. That's the way that I'm doing intimacy in my life. Um, and that's, what's really exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I've got some communities of people I'm getting really close to. Um, I think that I know this is something that before I had a romantic partner and even now, because I still have very close, um, a romantic partners being able to explain to my family that, romance wasn't the only way I was doing intimacy and that there were other people in my life who weren't romantic partners, but who were very important, who I wanted my family to acknowledge as intimate relationships was an important part of coming out as asexual. Any last tips, any last bit of advice for this, this, this newly self-conceived asexual? Thinking of yourself as asexual, like thinking of yourself as gay, straight, anything else is a big, long, complicated journey of self-exploration. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not a, it's not a end conclusion. So be prepared to redefine a lot of stuff, discover a lot of stuff. Don't expect to have all the answers now, but let people know that you're looking for them. And I think that's the best way to let people know that you're on a path that's going to make you happy, which is ultimately what the people who care about you want to see. David J. he founded asexuality.org in 2002 uh, and really kickstarted and in a way founded the asexual community. Is that too much? Am I giving you too much credit and praise there? Because I think that's true. Uh, I was one of many people who helped to build it. Uh, (laughs) Thank you very much. Well, you're very prominent among them. Thanks for jumping on the phone with us, David. I appreciate it. Take care. Hi, Dan. I was pouring milk at a Starbucks the other day when I noticed the guy sitting in the lounger was very clearly holding up his hardcore pornography for everybody to see. Now, I just thought it was crazy, but that would make a lot of women uncomfortable, and clearly he was doing it just so he could make some people uncomfortable. I've heard you talk about before that people who expose themselves, people who grew up on the subway, a lot of times they get away with it because women are taught, you know, not to say anything and not to shame and not to, you know, you know speak up loudly about it. In your opinion, what's the most effective way to, sh- to publicly shame somebody who's doing something that's, you know, for their own pleasure and clearly inappropriate and would make other people uncomfortable and in some cases criminal. I think a lot of women come across this sort of behavior or the groping or exposing pretty frequently, and I know that there are safety concerns, but if you feel like you could do it relatively safely, what, in your opinion, is the best and most effective way to shame somebody who's acting very inappropriately? It's a catch-22 because what if his kink is the shaming? What if it's not just the exposing and the porn? What if what he wants is some pretty lady to yell at him? And there are guys out there who that's what they want. I think the thing to do, you know, when somebody flashers, people who expose themselves publicly, uh, part of what they're wanting to do is get that reaction, get that rise, shock people, annoy people. So the more you rise to that, actually, the more you're kind of playing in too often to their kinks. So just treating them like they're pathetic and ridiculous and – that you know, you're know, you an adult in America. You have seen porn before. It's nothing you haven't seen. You'd rather not see it at Starbucks at 8 o'clock in the morning. 
you think it's an asshole move to be looking at porn in a place where kids might see it or people who have gone out of their way to avoid being exposed to pornography all their lives might be exposed to it. But just to treat it like, oh, dude, asshole move, whatever, I think is the way to diffuse it because you don't want to play into that, oh, clutch your pearls and be mortified and embarrassed and hurt because that's probably the reaction that he wants. So even if you are, you don't don't give him that. You can also go talk to the baristas and say, asshole looking at porn on table four. I'm sure that they have a policy at Starbucks about that. I'm sure they know what to do. I bet if we called Starbucks, which I should have thought of, they would tell us what their policy is about that. Otherwise, just like walk up to him and talk to him if you want to. Just say, dude, what's with the porn? What are you doing? Hey, this dude's looking at porn. I guess he wants us all to see his porn. Sometimes it's not public shaming that you want to do. It's sort of public mockery and acknowledgement in a blasé way. I bet that if you gathered four or five people together and all walked up and stood around his computer all at the same time and started chit-chatting with him about his porn in a way where it was clear that you were not shocked in a way the community you just didn't give a shit and you thought he was kind of ridiculous and sad and pathetic, not a danger, not a sexual outlaw, just kind of a sap. I bet that would take the wind out of his cells and the blood out of his dick pretty quick. Hi, Dan. Um, I have a question. I'm a 22-year-old gay male in a relationship with an older dominant male, and um, we've been dating for almost 10 months. And honestly, it's been great. We both have really high sex drives. We have great dominance submissive play, and honestly, it's been great. Um, I've met, like, his family, and while I'm not out, like, he's met a lot of my friends. But um, we actually are in a little bit of an issue right now. I told him that we spend a little bit too much time together, so I told him that I was going to go hang out with a friend of mine and go to a bar, a gay bar, like, last night. I mean, I got, like, he's very possessive, and I understood that he would be a little bit jealous, but the night, like, before I left, he was... You know, we started fooling around just because we tend to do that a lot. And he tied me up. And it's something that we fantasize and talked about a lot, but he's never done that. He's never actually tied me up before. And the thing that he said that really struck a nerve with me was like, if you can get yourself out, then you can go hang out with your friends. And that did not sit too well with me. He was having fun, like, pretending that he was going to leave me tied up all night. He went and he left the apartment trying to scare me. And I was just not happy. As soon as he got back, I was like, you need to untie me. And, you know, he untied me. And then as soon as he did, I kind of left his place and went to my friend's place because he kind of made me late for that. So we kind of texted while I was out. And he did apologize. He said, I'm sorry if I scared you. But to me, that doesn't seem like real apologies. He just seems very self-centered to me, and a lot of something that we did fantasize about, the fact that he did it right before I was going out with my friends, to the point that I was actually a little bit late to meet my friend. Um, I think he crossed the line there, and I don't think he realizes that. Anyways, um, so I just wanted your opinion on that. Uh, let me know if I'm slipping out and making a big deal over nothing, or if I'm dealing with some weird issue from my past, as uh, he accused me of when I told him that he liked humility. 
Uh, <laughs> Hello? Hey, it's Dan Savage. Oh, my God. Are you tied up right now, or can you talk? I could talk. Are you still seeing the, the older Dom guy? Yeah, yeah. Um, Any updates? Have you guys patched it up? Yeah. When I called, it was before we talked. Um, he was actually going out of town. So we talked, and, you know, he expressed that he really didn't want to hurt me. And the thing that happened that really made me realize that he was being honest was that his voice kind of cracked. Mm-hmm. So I could tell that he was really emotionally involved. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> or he's a good so, actor. No, no. He's, he's like, I could tell that he was being sincere. So. Okay, well, you, you say you have a dom-sub thing going with him. Is this a new thing for both of you? Is he an experienced BDSMer or Dom sub player, or are you both both of you exploring new territory in this relationship? Uh, kind of. I mean, like it's something that we both kind of loosely explored, mm-hmm. and like honestly, with him, the first time that it started, like you know, we were just talking about it, and we just wanted to play, and it just kind of turned into a relationship. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's something we've talked about. It's like it's weird to have this relationship, and but I'm, just, I'm curious. Sub- I'm curious, like, how much experience does he have doing dom sub? You are 20, you're younger, you don't have that much experience subbing. I'm curious, this guy, has he had BDSM relationships before? Has he been in dom sub relationships before? Um, no, it's just been play. Okay. Like, for him, it's just been play. Okay, so here's the thing. You know, I don't, there's some basic safety issues here about bondage. And you say he'd never tied you up before this night. A, you don't leave a tied up person alone. What if there's a fire? What if in your struggle to get out something, one of the ropes slips up and wraps around your neck or you pinch a nerve or you cut off your circulation and then that bondage scene where it was kind of edgy and dangerous and sexy to leave you alone ends with you in an emergency room or a body bag. Bad move, right? Right. You don't leave a tied up person alone. That's just kind of a basic rule. Now – that said, I don't want to say he's an idiot, he's an abuser. A lot of people who are just beginning to explore BDSM make amateur mistakes, make newbie mistakes, dom or sub. The problem is when the dom is the person who makes the mistake, the sub can either be hurt or traumatized or scared and that can really derail the relationship. Mm-hmm. So right. I do think that if it was an honest mistake, if he feels bad, if he was trying to be sexy, if he's trying to make – you know, kind of a game, an erotic game out of his insecurity, his possessiveness, his desire to like not let you go out with your friends but also letting you go out with your friends by tying you up and saying if you can get untied and most people can get untied if it's just ropes and stuff, especially if somebody's no good at it and hasn't done it very much, most people can get untied. Then you can go out. He's just – you know, that could have been just his clumsy effort to acknowledge – this dynamic about his insecurity but also the dom sub thing and let you have your way but have to clear this hurdle, this obstacle that he put in your path to get your way, which was escape, right? Right. And then right. he could have spun that all out in his head in a very sexy way and it could have just collapsed in a clumsy way because he didn't know what he was doing and he was actually stomping, you know, bring, dragging the dom sub dynamic into an area of a relationship where he should not, which is genuine, separate from the DS dynamic concerns that you have about how much of your time he's taking up, about your friendships, you, you know, atrophying because you're spending all your time on your knees in his apartment, right? Yeah, yes, definitely. And so you guys need to articulate, you guys need to say all this to each other, and you need to not do the thing that a lot of. 
you know, sometimes in BDSM dom sub play, it's a really bad idea for two people who have never done it to come together and explore it together because yeah. they're both going to be making the amateur mistakes. You know, sub or dom, it's good to have somebody who's more experienced. You guys need to talk it out. Yeah. Where yeah. the boundaries so, are, what you've consented to, what you've not consented to, when you're kind of in a subby space or you know, when it's in a scene, when it's not in a scene, what your safe word is. Did you have a safe word when he tied you up? We did and it's something that we've joked about a lot. So I think when I did kind of say I was like red, red, but I kinda of had a smile on my face and like the other thing that he kept bringing up was like when I kept looking at you, you had a big grin on your face and I did just because I don't like. I don't want to look of terror on my face. I was just kind of putting up a front. Mm-hmm. So well, okay. that's kind of also. So you threw that out there. How long has this relationship been going on? It's been going about uh, going on to ten months. Okay, so now you know this shit yeah. about each other. Now he knows that even when you use your safe word, you may be grinning. But if you're using it, he needs to. He needs to acknowledge it and yeah. end whatever he's doing. Even if you have a nervous grin on your face, he's not allowed to take your demeanor or even your hard dick as some sort of yeah. override of your use of the safe word. That yeah, has to although be, to be fair to him, I do like throw the safe word out as a joke a lot. When Then you need to stop that. Yeah, I need to. If you guys are <sighs> going to use a safe word, it needs to be sacred. Definitely. You don't use it as a joke. He doesn't. Look for cues that you're using it as a joke. Right. A lot of people will listen to your call and your question and think, I should tell you to dump this guy. And I actually don't. It sounds like you two have a connection. It just sounds like mm-hmm. you two bumbled into, you know, above your pay grade BDSM moment where neither of you were reading each other, communicating to each other well, but you were the more vulnerable one, so it was more traumatizing to you at that moment. And then you need to also, after yeah. you talk about boundaries and all that shit, you need to unpack this his possessiveness thing, which is a little sexy and a little dummy. He wants you. He wants to possess you. That's part of like probably what turns you on about him and this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. But you yeah. need to – he needs to acknowledge that that's not a turn on all the time and there will be times when you need to be off with your friends, doing other things. And then if he wants to incorporate – you know, his hurt feelings about not having you at his back and call all the times into a scene that needs to be done explicitly and thoughtfully. Like you could have a deal where you can go out for a night with your friends, but then X is going to happen to you the next time you get together. You're going to be punished in X way so that then you yeah. both – then it's, it's sort of sexy for him if you go off with your friends and he can set aside yeah. his feelings of possessiveness and insecurity because he'll get to do – he'll get to punish you in this X way that you have consented to, that you enjoy – within the yeah. DS dynamic. That would be, that sounds like a good idea. Definitely. But it's really important, especially new, especially out of the gate to know when, when you're in a scene, mm-hmm. when you're in a play, when you're not in the play. Right. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I definitely think we should, I'm going to talk to him and hopefully things will work out and be better than they were before. So that said, yeah. and I'll let you go with this. Mm-hmm. If it keeps happening, if it happens again, I don't care right. if his voice cracks. I don't care how upset he seems. I don't care how sincere the apology might appear to be. Right. He's playing you. He's, he's manipulating you. Accidents happen. Mistakes can be made. People just exploring DS for the first time can stumble and fall and, and screw it up. But if it happens again and again and again, this is what he oh. – it's, it's on purpose. Yeah. 
So you be wary a little bit that you, you've given him a second chance but this is not, not a bucket yeah. full of second chances. OK. Cool. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Sure You're thing. the best. Bye. Hi, Dan Savage. I'm a 26-year-old straight female calling with a question about birth control. Um, want to know your thoughts on disclosing your birth control status before sleeping with a new partner. Um, I find that when I tell guys I have like a 99.9% effective IUD, I get a lot more of the, oops, I forgot the condoms at home, or whoops, it slipped off, where if I lie and say that I'm not on any birth control and I'm at my super peak of fertility, people remember to bring the condoms, they stay on, and um, I have a much better experience. So I'm just wondering, is this a little white lie that's okay to tell? Absolutely. Tell that lie. Next. Next call. No more to say about that. Just fucking tell that lie to your heart's content. Next call. Hi, Dan. What I have is a, and well, I guess average to high sex drive and a husband who won't fuck me. He's military, and so he is gone a lot. But when he's here, I think last year we averaged once a month, and it tears me up. It's, it's, it's affected my self-esteem. It's affected, it's affected the way that I treat my own body. It's affected my mental health. Like, I, I love this man. I love him so much, but I, I, the need to be with somebody who will be with me that way has led me to become a cheater once a year for the duration of our marriage. And by once a year, I mean once a year for a few weeks. And I, I'm one of those military cheating wives, and I hate myself for it, but I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should get out. This man is a good man and a good father and a good husband. He's a good provider. He he can be supportive in so many other ways, with the exception of that one. Um, I begged him to work on this with me. I begged him to go to marriage counseling. I begged, I, I've gone to counseling myself for it. What it comes down to is me not trying hard enough to be accepting of the stressors of his job. Um, that's all anyone has ever told me is I'm being selfish. I just want to know, am I selfish for wanting a husband who'll fuck me? Am I selfish? Um, I know that the cheating needs to stop. I know that, but I don't know how to stop at this point. Once a year, I just can't take it anymore. And I need to go find a man who loves me and, and kisses me and holds me and, and fucks me. So I don't know what to do. And I don't know if this will qualify as a sort of a talk on marital infidelity and what leads to it and how to avoid it. Um, he's a good dad. And at this point, that's what keeps me here. God, I fucking hate shrinks and counselors who tell people, tell the person with a higher libido in a mixed libido relationship that they're being selfish. Listen to the pain in this woman's voice. The, the neglect, the, the constant feeling of rejection and inadequacy, what that does to people. Sexual compatibility is important. You know, people talk, mainstream sex advice columnists or relationship columnists, advice columnists talk about how important it is to hammer things out before a relationship begins, before you marry someone uh, on basic issues about whether you want children or not, whether you're going to raise those children if you're going to have children in a faith or not because those sorts of disputes just destroy people's marriages. They explode people's marriages. If one person goes in thinking I never want kids and the other person goes in thinking I want 10 kids, that is a recipe for disaster. You know what else is a recipe for disaster? This. 
one person wants it once a month or less. The other person wants it once a day, a few times a week because you have one person just on this constant boil of self-loathing, self-hatred. And then that other person starts to do what I've said a million times. Some people in these kind of relationships do what they need to do to stay married and stay sane. And for some of those people, it's get those needs met elsewhere because the only other option is divorce. And then the culture, because it's so fucking sex negative, pathologizes the person with the higher sex drive and says, you're doing something wrong. You know what? You're not doing something wrong. That you want more sex than he does is just – Two neutral facts about you that make you basically fundamentally sexually incompatible, that set you up for this misery and this failure because you didn't talk about – I bet you talked about kids going in, how many you wanted, how many he wanted, whether you wanted kids at all, whether to be raised in a faith. That was all hammered out. This wasn't hammered out because people, particularly women, are told that they're not allowed to advocate for themselves sexually or there's something wrong with them if they place too much importance on sex. And sexual compatibility, basic sexual compatibility. I'm not talking perfect fits. No two people are perfect fits. But basic sexual compatibility. If that's your focus, oh, you're some sort of horny sex monster and you're prioritizing dirty, dirty rubbing genitals together over love, love, love. But disputes over dirty, dirty rubbing genitals together undermines and ultimately destroys love, love, love. It actually makes it impossible for that love to continue to flourish. If you guys are not on the same page, roughly the same page sexually, don't have to be on the same line on the same page, but on the same fucking page. What should you do? You know, I don't know. I don't know. You're in a terrible situation. The rejection at the hands of your husband makes you feel awful. The cheating that you engage in every once in a while to get those needs met elsewhere, to stay sane and stay married, that makes you feel awful. Can you go on feeling this way for the rest of your life? Awful? I don't know. I don't think you should. I think at this point you might want to think about divorce because as much as you love him, as good as a provider and father that he is, you guys are basically fundamentally sexually incompatible. Sooner or later, you'll get caught cheating and then you'll really be the goat. You'll really be the bad guy in this story. And in some ways, Folks, listen to the sound of her voice. You are the victim. You have been victimized in this story, not by a vicious, cruel, sadistic husband who intentionally sought to hurt you, but really kind of victimized by a circumstance, victimized by a culture that led you to believe that sex was so unimportant that you shouldn't prioritize it in the choice of a partner, that it wasn't something that you should have weighed and seriously weighed before marrying this man and you should have. And other people out there, if you're dating someone right now and you are not on the same page, don't have to be on the same fucking line on the same page but not on the same page at all, it's not a problem that gets better. My inbox is clogged with emails from people who are miserable in their marriages, men and women because their sexual needs aren't being met and the culture tells them they're not allowed to get them met elsewhere and if they do, they're terrible people and they're not allowed to divorce. And they go see shrinks and counselors who treat them and their natural, normal sexual desires and appetites as the problem. You know what the problem is? The problem is the culture that told you you weren't allowed to take this into consideration before you married this man. And now here you are and what do you do? Everything is a terrible choice. You have evils to choose from. The evil of divorce and broken home for your children, the evil of cheating and the evil of dying in this relationship and just suffering and suffering and suffering in this relationship. The, the Hail Mary pass is going to your husband and saying, I need it a lot more than you need it and I'm kind of going out of my mind and there needs to be an accommodation here. 
what's that accommodation going to be because I can't go on like this. Some people get to their open relationships or their don't ask, don't tell what happens when I'm not around or what you do on the side to stay married, stay sane and stay out of my hair and not pester me for more sex than I want to have. Some people get to that by having those sorts of conversations. Might get you to divorce court too. But better to get out in front of it because if you get caught and you know serial adulterers generally do eventually slip up and get caught. If you get caught, then you're the villain in the story and that will be really sad because in a way you've been victimized here. And you know what? So has your husband. You've both been victimized here. He's not the bad guy and you're not the bad guy. The culture that told you both that thinking about sex too much, that when you were considering each other as potential life partners, that weighing sex on those scales as well meant you were prioritizing sex when you shouldn't because sex is trivial and unimportant. You were victimized by that, by that dynamic, by that bullshit that floats around in the culture and sets marriages up for failure. really does because this shit eats away. It's corrosive. It is an acid. It dissolves love over time and it destroys marriages. And you can either get out or you can demand that the relationship be honestly open because right now the relationship is dishonestly open. You just got to make a choice. You'll feel better once the choice is made. Open or out, those are the only choices because you will never be happy with the status quo. And fuck those shrinks you've gone to who've pathologized your normal, natural desires. Fuck them. Fuck them in their useless holes. Hi, Dan. Uh, my name is Jesse, and I'm a 35-year-old straight male living in Chicago. I'm calling uh, because I have a, a long-distance relationship uh, with, with a girl living in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and we had, initially when we reconnected, decided to keep this as an open relationship, uh, which was actually something that I suggested uh, before we split up in the first place, with, before she moved. And that was going fine, and we kept kind of getting a stronger and stronger bond. And then last Wednesday, she told me that she loves me, that she wants to spend her life with me. Uh, which is exactly what I wanted to hear, because I feel the same for her. And as soon as she did that, suddenly the date she was going on, which we were completely open and honest about, um, that became a hundred times harder for me to deal with. What I'm trying to figure out here is whether uh, I've just stepped past my comfort zone in a permanent way, where this is just something I can't handle, uh, because I, I want to be open to these experiences. I want to be and live this life where we have no jealousy because it's, it's not possible. Uh, it's a beautiful thought, but I don't know if it's really something I can go through with. Uh, so is this just me having a difficulty that I need to work through? Or is this a sign that I just can't deal with this not being a closed relationship? She's willing to close it. I'm willing to, but both of us want to try to let this work this way uh, until we can be together. Um, so your advice is greatly appreciated. Okay, you're crazy. And there are two items in my bill of indictment that proves that you're fucking nuts. Uh, first of all, you want to live a life with no jealousy. That is impossible. The, the idea that in an open relationship or polyamorous relationships, there are not things known as feelings and people don't get their toes stepped on and people don't experience jealousy is 
bullshit. It is a myth. It is a myth that is sometimes promoted by people in open or poly relationships who want to swan around acting as if they're morally superior and immune to these petty jealousies that people in monogamous relationships are subjected to. No. Everybody experienced jealousy. What proves that you're qualified, that you're well-suited to be in an open relationship is not that you're immune to jealousy. It's how you process it and how you handle it, how you work through jealousy and discuss it with your partner and how your – when you're experiencing feelings of jealousy, how your partner or partners help you through that, talk about with you, you know, assess whether they're doing something that is legitimately drawing these feelings out in you or making you feel somehow short-changed or, or taken for granted and then that is addressed, assessed and addressed and it makes the relationship, that open or poly relationship stronger. But you are going to feel jealousy in an open or poly relationship. So that's crazy number one on the – your crazy bill of indictment. Number two is she wants to close this relationship. She's will- What you want, your impulse right now is because you guys have upgraded to love that you don't want her to go on dates with other people, that you want to have a closed relationship for right now and she's willing to do that and so are you. So why aren't you guys fucking doing that? It doesn't mean it has to be closed forever. You're not putting the relationship in a box and nailing it shut and wrapping it in chains and throwing it in the ocean. But for right now at this stage where suddenly there are these new acknowledged feelings, why not close it for a while? Why not say with this – these new acknowledged feelings of of love, there's not space right now emotionally in our relationship, in our bond for others and for distractions. Let's focus on each other for right now. I've said before that – you know, and this is – Anecdotes ain't data and this may be a bias of mine in particular. But the people I've seen in successful long-term open relationships, there was a period at the outset where they were closed and not closed against their will and oh my god, but sort of effortlessly, joyously closed. That's the offer that – that's what's on the table and you're letting some allegiance to ideals about open relationships and the relationship you ultimately want to be in interfere with the relationship that you're in right now. That's leotarded. Take it. Right now, you feel that open is wrong for you too. That doesn't mean open is wrong. and That doesn't mean that down the road, if ultimately what you want is an open relationship, that again will not be free of jealousy. But what you want is an open relationship. You can have that with her. But at this stage in your relationship, open's wrong for you too. So don't fucking do it. Take Yes for a goddamned answer. You're saying to her, I don't feel like now that it's love, that this open thing I'm comfortable with. And she's saying, OK, let's close it. And you're saying, but I don't know. Take fucking yes. Let's close it for now for a fucking answer and close it for now. Crazy person. Hi, Dan. I am in a relationship at two and a half years with a boy, uh, man. He's 32, I'm 26. I've always been bisexual. I've known that since I was 13. Um, I had a relationship in college with a woman, and my boyfriend is aware. We have had threesomes. He knows that I, we, we hit a woman, and it's, it's good. But I think I might be a lesbian, and that's the first time I've ever said it out loud to anybody else, even though it's a phone recording. And I don't know what the fuck to do. I don't know why I'm scared. My parents don't know I'm bi just because I'm that terrible sort of bisexual that doesn't come out. Sorry, everybody, and sorry to me because I feel like I'm part of the problem. But I don't know what to do. I love this guy. He loves me. And I shouldn't be scared. I have tons of gay friends, and I know that 
they can go through this and why can't I? And I don't know. I don't know. I'm very confused. And maybe I'm just being a pussy or a scrotum. But, uh, yeah, so that's what's going on with me. Any advice? Well, I had a couple of follow-up questions for you. Yeah, I realized after I called that uh, I provided literally no details. <laughs> like, how long have you been with this guy that you're in a relationship with? Uh, nearly three years. Three years. And are you done with dick now that you realize you're a lesbian? Or are you going to be one of those lesbian-identified women who is on the dick every once in a while because – just to complicate my life, really. Because when they call <laughs> me and then lesbians who are never on the dick blow up at me as if I've invented all these lesbians who are occasionally on the dick. So is dick something you're over with? Is this relationship something you're over with? Or are you going to grandfather in his dick in your new lesbian lifestyle? <laughs> I think grandfathering in the dick a little bit because we're, we've gone through a period of transition. We were out of the country for a while, both got new jobs in this mm-hmm. really crappy apartment about to move into a new place. And I think just all of the changes, all of the stress, everything was just not great. And sex wasn't great. And we were fighting way more than usual. And just like all this tension, he's not very happy in the city that we're in right now. We're talking about moving later on. But what's important to me personally right now is just getting settled. Uh And I was just starting to think about in terms of how he fits into that, how men fit into that, how sexuality fits into that. And I think we're kind of having a crisis of conscience. And I mean, I love this guy and he loves me, but I, I, I'm starting to feel a little bit more clarity in terms of my sexuality. And okay, so ultimately you want out, right? Ultimately you want a relationship with a woman and not a relationship with him and his dick. I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. And that's a really terrifying question for me. Well, I bet it's scarier for him. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. And that's, yeah, I mean, he's aware of them by, and you know, we, I think I mentioned that we've, uh, um, had, you know, brought ladies into the relationship as well. And that's really that's fun. And we talk about these things, but mm-hmm. I have not, you know, made this pronouncement. He has mentioned it and he has said, yeah, I know I'm in love with a lesbian. So you're probably going to leave me one day half in dress, but uh-huh. it's been a while since he's made that particular comment. Uh, but I'm sure it's still floating around in his brain and obviously floating around in mine. I recently spent um, a few days hanging out with some friends. They're a couple, male and female, um, married, married a long time, married 20 years, 25 years. And he had come out as gay to his entire family and um, his friends, colleagues. Uh, and then he met her. And it's not that he's uh. not gay. He's still gay. But she is uh, his lesbian firefighter. I joke about, you know, I'm not attracted to women, but every once in a while there's that lesbian firefighter uh, who looks like Rolf in Sound of Music and I would totally do. And in a way, you know, he met the one woman on earth that he was so emotionally compatible with and intimate, you know, in an intimacy, they had an intimacy with her he had with no one else and was also sexually attracted to, which was as big a shock to him as anyone else. And they've been married for 25 years and they're really happy together. And <laughs> they both sometimes have a little on the side and it works for them and they're a beautiful couple and I, you know, I'm not – he was worried when he finally told me what the whole deal was that I would judge him or think he had done something wrong and I don't. I think they have a beautiful thing and no one has a right mm-hmm. to throw stones at it. So it's not outside the realm of the possible that you could be lesbian identified and partnered with this man. Stranger yeah. things have happened like my friends <laughs> just described. 
And I think that's what's so terrifying is realizing that, you know, more about myself and the sexuality continues to be fluid and move around in the world. If I draw this line in the sand, am I completely shutting out this wonderful man who I do have great sex with and who I do love? Not and necessarily. Who, I'm, and I'm sorry. You say you're a lesbian, but you love and have great sex with this dude. Is it possible that you're an 80 percent attracted to women, 20 percent men by and not a lesbian? Do you have to pick lesbian when you're clearly bisexual in your behavior pattern, at least up to now? Now, I know a lot of women who are lesbians identify later in life. There's a lot of cultural pressure on women to hew to the dick and some women are on the dick for a long time before they realize I don't even want this dick at all. And a lot of a lot of women who are lesbian come out later in life because of the way women are socialized, right? And that's kind of what I've kind of imagined for myself, you know, like 70 years down the road, well, maybe a little bit less than that, 50 years down the road, he's dead, I'm still alive, and I'm shacking up with Brenda or something like that. And I'm free. I kind of want to avoid oh, that. Oh, that's so terrible. I hope he doesn't listen to the show. One day you'll be dead and I'll finally be free. Exactly. He doesn't listen. If you ever get married, you can include that in your vows. I promise to love, honor, obey, and then when you're dead, I'll finally be free. Oh, God. So, I, I mean, I, I so appreciate you calling in. I, I think when I decided to make the call, I don't know if it came across in my voice. I I was shaking for like five minutes after, and I was like, it's wrong, man. Because you said lesbian out loud. To myself. Exactly. It's, just- it's a consequential statement for a woman in an opposite sex relationship to make. And it's something that you have to wrestle with, whether you're being lesbian identified disqualifies him from being your partner. Mm -hmm. And as I was trying to communicate to you with that anecdote about my friends, that's not necessarily so. It's almost invariably so, but not necessarily so that you can be lesbian identified and have a male partner. That has happened. It will raise eyebrows in Dykeland, but that has happened. Um, Or if what you ultimately want to pursue is a relationship with a woman and you want to explore that, then you guys may need to part. And not look at the relationship as a failure. You had a great time. You had some great three ways. You really loved each other. You can salvage a friendship from it. Why couldn't we not regard the relationship as having been a success? Even yeah. if you didn't wind up together until he died and you were finally free. You can be free without killing him. <laughs> it's true. I, um, I don't know if a friendship would be salvageable um, after if, if this relationship were to, to end on those terms. I mm-hmm. hope so. Just knowing the way that um, my partner's previous relationships have ended, he's kind of a burning bridges sort, um, mm. both with romantic relationships and friendships occasionally. Right, well, that's um, his problem then. But he, he's the common denominator there. If he's one of those people who doesn't think a relationship can end without having created an enemy in the process, that's his shit. You don't have to worry about that. I basically. know. And, and I mean, if, if this would come to that, I mean, that's something that I would bring up. And because he is my best friend and, and I'm, I'm his best friend and it would be heartbreaking for, for that to just disappear because I chose to have sex with him. And then I realized that I would like to have sex with ladies instead. So, and here's what you lay out for him. You know, given the calls I get, the odds that you may wind up with a female partner one day who also wants a little dick every once in a while, not mm-hmm. not insignificant. So, you know, if you guys can salvage a friendship, he could be that guest dick in your big lesbian relationship for the rest of your life. That's a good point. <laughs> okay, that may, may yeah. not be a bridge he wants to burn in the end. <laughs> Maybe not. I'm pretty good at it. Well, good yeah. luck and give us a call sometime and Thank let us know you. how it all played out. And in a way, my yeah. heart aches for your your soon-to-be or at some point-to-be ex. I think that's clearly the direction in which you're headed. Uh, I don't want to be. Uh, 
yeah, no, I just, I, I need to, I need to like write my journal and figure out exactly what I'm feeling and then finally talk to him. And so I have like a cohesive statement and, you know, reasoning behind things that I can't go into this all adrenaline and filled and half cocked. So I appreciate you calling and talking with you. Sure thing. Good luck, lesbian. Hi, Dan. I am a 38 year old straight female and I'm married. And uh, I had decided a little while ago to leave my husband because he had become verbally abusive. It's just kind of crazy. And then his mother died. And uh, she and I were very close. And obviously, I don't want to leave someone whose parent has just died. But at the same time, I kind of need, need to get out. And I'm not really sure what the decent waiting interval is. Anyway, I'd love your advice. I'm going to be uncharacteristically brief. You can't stay with someone for another three or four decades because his mother died the week that you were planning to go and file for divorce or talk to a divorce attorney. What you need to do is just stick around a little longer. Don't make any promises You know, during this stressful, awful time where he may be turning to you for emotional support. Don't make any promises to him about the future, about your lives together. Just be supportive and kind. Try to tap into whatever feelings you had for him back before he became emotionally abusive, when you were first together, and cling to that as you shepherd him through the next three or four months and then go. And that's it. That's all I got. Just don't make any promises. If he's sobbing and and leaning on you, allow him to sob and lean on you. But do not allow yourself to be drawn into any conversations about your relationship, your marriage, love, anything about a future together. Just support him logistically, emotionally, get him through the next three or four months and then do what you need to do for yourself, which is leave. Hey, Dan. So I just started dating a really great guy about – Three months ago, he uh, did two tours, one in Iraq and one in Afghanistan, and probably has some issues from that. We have sex a good amount, and he never has a problem getting turned on, but he does not like to touch my vagina. Um, he also doesn't has never gone down on me. Um, and I asked him why, and he said, I'm too wet. And I go down on him all the time. Uh, and aside from that, he doesn't like it when I masturbate because he says that we have sex a lot and it's annoying. Um, but he isn't in touch enough with his feelings to kind of express that he feels inadequate or, um, guilty, um, if I masturbate around him, not when I'm masturbating by myself. The last problem is that I, in my last relationship, got really into kink and DS relationships, and um, I want to incorporate that, and he is extremely vanilla and um, seemed like he would be interested in trying it, but he always says later or another time, like anal sex, he never wants to do it, but he says that he'll do it someday when he's drunk. So I have this thing that you're going to tell me that we're sexually incompatible, but I'm hoping they get some other advice, especially about the not wanting to touch my vagina part, because it's very strange and it makes me feel like he thinks my vagina is disgusting. 
Joining me by phone, Lindy West. She's a staff writer at Jezebel.com. You should follow her on Twitter at the Lindy West. She is hysterical uh, and she is uh, a woman with opinions about rape and stuff, which seems to annoy male comedians everywhere. Uh, Lindy, thanks for jumping on the phone. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I, before we get to the call, uh, this is really about – I just want to talk smack with you for a minute about the world's worst advice columnist, Pamela <laughs> Stevenson Connolly at The Guardian in the UK. Uh, I blew up at her because there's a guy who wrote to her who said uh, that he wanted to put toys in his butt and his girlfriend wouldn't do it and he was OK with that. He could live without it. But his girlfriend was calling him a pervert and a fag and mocking him and telling his friends about it and not fucking him in the you – know, also not fucking him. And she was all about how to salvage that relationship and I was all about what? dump that motherfucker already. Terrible advice. And then I saw her advice that you blew up about. I tweeted out about mm -hmm. it. Uh, and then saw that you were blowing up about it too to a woman whose boyfriend thought her vagina was disgusting and would have nothing to do with it except stick his dick in it. And what was your advice to that woman? What, what was Pamela Stevenson Connolly's awful advice and then what was your much better advice? Oh, her advice was like, oh, why don't you just get an educational DVD about vaginas and then watch it with him <laughs> and then do some like positive reinforcement training where you give him a treat every time he's nice to your vagina and then everything will work out. And, like, he had to, it wasn't just that he, like, wasn't interested in the vagina. He told her that it was especially revolting compared to all other vaginas, which he also didn't like. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I knew, really horrible. I knew this girl uh, once a long time ago, Kate, who, who had a boyfriend who was absolutely disgusted by her vagina, really wanted nothing to do with it. Um, and you know what? I was her boyfriend. <laughs> that was the problem. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, I don't want to say, I'm sure there are people who have emotional issues and trauma in their past and who have maybe, I don't know, OCD or like reasons why they have problems with bodily fluids, but that's not really what we're talking about. If you're going to go out of your way to insult someone and hurt them and say that a part of their body is repulsive, a part of, a part of their body that you are exploiting for sexual pleasure also, like he was having sex with her. He was just also making sure she knew that he thought she was gross. Like that's a, that's a different thing. You know, that's not something that you need to talk through. I'm all for talking things through if it's some sort of legitimate problem. And you wrote a brilliant post about it at Jezebel.com titled, If Your Boyfriend Tells You Your Vagina Is Repulsive, what was your advice after that part? Break up with him. Break up with him. Break up with him, man. Okay, so here we, here we have a caller whose boyfriend essentially tells her, demonstrates to her that her vagina is repulsive. It's too wet. A lot of boys consider that uh, a measure of how attracted to them their girlfriends are. But in this case, your vagina is too wet. Uh, and he kind of goes out of his way to communicate to her that he's not into her vagina and thinks it's gross and won't put his face on it. And she, yet she is telling us to not to tell her to break up with him. She ruled that out. Like, you're not allowed to tell me to break up with this motherfucker. Yeah. I don't know what to tell her, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, uh, okay, if you have your own issues, if you're that guy and you have your issues, you have whatever problem you have with vaginas, that's fine. But if your issues start bleeding over into her psyche, like clearly this is harming her and her relationship with her own body, that needs to be addressed. That's not just a thing that you just live with. I mean, at least he's not insulting her. He's just being weird about it. Although the you're not allowed to masturbate thing was creepy and controlling. Oh, is it? I don't know. Does your boyfriend let you masturbate? My boyfriend doesn't let me masturbate. Really? I thought I, that was a I thing. I don't think it's... 
Is that a thing? I don't think that's. I don't a think thing. it's any any of anyone else's business. <laughs> but I mean, you're allowed to. Do, I mean, Lindy I West know. is giving me permission to masturbate, like right now. <laughs> yeah, I- do you want me to like write out like a permission slip for you? Well, how do you know I'm not masturbating? This is a phoner. I could be mas- – I could have That's one of the true. tech-savvy at-risk youth right now masturbating me for me. But I think what we have here is a failure of someone to recognize basic sexual incompatibility. This came up earlier in the show. We had another call from somebody who ended up marrying someone that she was absolutely positively not sexually compatible with and is miserable. He doesn't like her vagina, won't go down on her, won't do a DS, which she enjoys, won't have anal sex, he says – but unless maybe sometime when I'm drunk, because the first time you have anal sex with somebody, you want to be fucking hammered. That never goes wrong. Yeah. Seems like a great plan. How do we not? How do we avoid telling this woman not to dump this motherfucker? Well, what I mean, he needs. A, I mean, I don't know. The most generous reading of it is that he needs some very serious therapy or something. I I feel like we teach women not to take control over their sexuality, and that's what I do is, every week on the Savage Lovecast. I know. Thank you so much. <laughs> I do my part. I do and what I can. There's all this bullshit about how women, you know, like women are naturally monogamous and want to nest. Did you read that thing in the um, New York Times today about the female libido pill? No, I haven't gotten really around to it yet. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, it's like basically this is all cultural, this idea that women just want to settle, like find one guy and settle down and they never – you know, they'll never get bored and they never, you know, think about anyone else. Well, we see, anyway, that, in, we see just, that in the wild with the bonobos. Right. Well, I mean, I'm not a bonobo. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. Really bonobo. Give a you get this idea that, oh, I found this person who's nice to me and who kind of has sex with me and I need to cling to that person at all costs. And right. I can deal with these problems. And, and women have to make the relationship work at all costs. And that if you prioritize your own sexual pleasure over this guy's affections for you and what might emotionally be working, then you're a bad – then you're a slut. Then you're right. a woman who thinks too much about sex and thinks sex is too important when it's the relationship that's important. You know what? Bad sex and sex with a selfish asshole ultimately in the end destroys the relationship. So why not pull the cord now? Right. What kind of a relationship is it if you don't even get to – feel comfortable with your own body like you are your body you know like you, you have to feel like your vagina is gross and by the way it's not like she's not like she's asking him not like she's saying like oh i want you to cut me with glass and then pee in the wound or something like there's she want, just wants him to touch and look at her sexual organs that is the most basic thing there's that there's no tangible harm that could come out of him doing that there's just no reason to not do it and if you have some reason some psychological reason to not do it then look at the psychological problem don't act like she just needs to get over it i mean if they're if they are determined to make this thing work then they need to work on making it work and that includes him doing some work but if you don't like our advice, caller, you can always write to Pamela Stevenson Connolly at The Guardian for the opposite, for the terrible advice. She, she, is, she has cornered the market on terrible advice. We're giving you good advice, me and Lindy both. But if you want terrible make-it-work advice about DVDs and that shit, you should write to Pamela Connolly. Uh, Lindy, will you come back next week or the week after maybe when we get all the angry phone calls from the cut me in, with glass and pee in the wound community about your disparaging <laughs> comments about their lifestyle choice? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I was going to say that I think that they should, they are beautiful and free people and they should pee in anything that they want. And <laughs> Except <I support> them. <laughs> me. Except for me. Yeah. And any of my wounds. 
Thank you so much, Lindy. Yeah, thanks a lot. Bye. Lindy West, you should read her at Jezebel.com. Read her stuff. It's hilarious and smart and insightful. And follow her on Twitter at the Lindy West. Hi, Dan. I am calling about episode 344, whether I confront or deflect when somebody I'm not interested in hits on me or touches my body inappropriately. And I would say that in the past, I used to deflect and, <laughs> and then it would escalate and the men would think that they could continue doing these things because I was ignoring them. And there have been times where I've like confronted aggressively, like the pushing off the chest and go away. And that also, you know, is a bit dramatic and can, as you said, spoil the fun. What I found works really well for me is to look the guy in the face very, very confidently and say, that was absolutely inappropriate. And if you do that again, I will cause a scene. And they have never repeated that move since I've been saying that. I live in New York City and I've worked in entertainment and hostessing. And in those situations, I've looked at the guy with a smile on my face and a calm tone of voice and said, I don't want to make a scene here, but if you touch my ass again, I will break your nose. And then I smile and then I walk away. Deflecting really doesn't work. We really need to be more aggressive to get these people away from us. Even if the woman doesn't think she can break his nose, the guy doesn't usually want to risk it. I taught self-defense for many years, and there are absolutely other options besides politely deflecting or publicly confronting. If this has happened repeatedly and you know you're going to see the person again, sit down at a time like when you're at home and you're calm and comfortable and think about what is the person doing? Come up with a plan for how you're going to respond. If you have a friend um, who's willing to like role play with you, that's even better. Sit down with your friend and say, the guy does this and he does this and figure out what you're going to do and practice doing it. It makes a huge difference. And in my experience, when people do this, they usually don't get a chance to put their plan into effect because they go back to the situation and they give off a completely different vibe. They don't seem vulnerable and nervous anymore. They seem prepared and confident. And usually the creepy person doesn't do the harassment anymore. Hi, I'm just calling with my method of getting creepy motherfuckers to back the fuck off. Um, I like to give them what I call my mom face. You know that face your mom gets when she's really disappointed in what you're doing? You look at them with your mom face and you say in a very clear tone that he can hear, but it isn't loud enough to get the whole, the whole party freaked out. You say, you need to stop. You need to fucking stop touching me. Or other short declarative statements. Usually gets the guy's eyes to widen and they back the fuck away because, holy shit, a woman is suddenly taking the upper hand, which most of these assholes are terrified by. Men like that get away with doing those things because nobody confronts them. Obviously, they have very thick skulls, men like that. And you need to be very stern with them. You don't have to make a scene. But if someone grabs your ass, you simply turn around and say, excuse me, please don't touch me. That's not appropriate. You don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to make a scene. But it's very important that you make it clear to men like that that that's not okay. It's not fair that women have to deal with this. And unless we start telling men like that that it's not okay, it's going to keep on happening. And we're going to leave it there. 
Thank you all so much for subscribing to these shows. You are the most beloved of my flying monkeys, of all my flying monkeys. Subscribers to the Savage Lovecast Magnum are my most beloved. If you really like the show, leave a nice review on the Savage Lovecast on iTunes. It helps turn people onto the Magnums who might not otherwise know about them. If you have suggestions on how to make the show better, let us know that too. There are comment threads in the end of every show. We pay attention. You'll see Nancy Artuni and the producer of the Savage Lovecast in there frequently slugging it out and helping people out. And she sends me stuff that she thinks I should pull myself out of my alcoholic stupor to pay attention to too so I'm looking there too and remember if you have the Savage Love app for iPhone make sure you update it because then you'll be able to listen to these shows on the app it works better than any of the other podcast players really we promise 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast if you want to record a question or comment for a future show give us a buzz 206-201-2720 the Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian my new book, American Savage, is in bookstores now. Look for me coming to a bookstore near you to do a reading and a signing. Me and the Tech Savvy at Youth and Nancy will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.